off and the clock has started. This is 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Welcome to 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. My name is Doug Prezak, and you are listening to episode number five. Who'd have thunk it would have lasted this many so far? But thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in and uh, sharing your 20 minutes with me. I appreciate that. I also want to thank this episode's very special announcer, Dottie. You read the title, so you know why she's the announcer. All right, let's get going here. As you saw by the title of this episode, I am married to a runner. Let me start with this. I hate running. The mere thought of running makes me want to curl up in a ball on the floor and whimper like a little puppy. I can't I can't decipher a reason why anybody would need to be running. All right, wait. You know, there might be a couple like you might say to me, Doug, what if I'm late for a train or my airplane? Well, no problem. I have the answer for you. Leave earlier. There, problem solved. There's no need to run. But Doug, what if I'm being chased by a bear or a tiger? Eh, I have the fix for you there. Stay out of the jungle. Stay out of the forest. Go to a zoo. There, problem solved. There is no need to run. But I love my wife. Therefore, by extension, I should love. No, I, I still hate running. All that being said, I do, however, support my wife and all that goes with her shall we just say, misguided affinity uh, for running. In the next 18 minutes or so, let's let's talk about all that goes with living with a runner and trying not to get myself into hot water. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit of history because, you know, I did research so you don't have to. The name Marathon comes from the legend of Philippides. He was a Greek messenger and soldier. Uh, technically, I think he was a soldier first. Then he was a messenger. Anyway, the legend states that he was sent from the battlefield of Marathon to all the way to Athens to announce that the Persians had been defeated in the Battle of Marathon. Yay! And he had just fought that battle, and that all took place in August or September of 490 B.C. It's said that he ran the entire distance without stopping, and then he burst into the assembly exclaiming, We have won! Of course, it was Greek, so it sounded entirely different from what I just said. Anyway, after he made the announcement of victory, he collapsed and died. See, nothing good comes from running. This is what I've been saying. I ran a five-kilometer race one time. I can't tell you what I proclaimed as I crossed the finish line because I checked the little box that says these podcasts do not contain extreme language. But like Philippides, I collapsed and died. Obviously, I was figuratively because, you know, like I'm still talking. Enough of my running woes. Let's fast forward to 1896, and that's when organizers for the first ever International Olympic Games paid tribute to Philippides by holding a marathon that clocked in at 24.85 miles, and that went from Marathon Bridge to the Olympic Stadium in Athens. There were only 25 entrants in that particular race, and only nine of them finished, but that did inspire the first ever Boston Marathon that took place the following year in 1897. And in 1921, the distance of 26.2 miles became the official standardized measurement for the race. After that, more races like uh, 5Ks, half marathons, and full marathons began popping up around the globe. And both the Seattle and New York City marathons began in 1970. And here is the most ridiculously stupid fact that has a most ridiculously stupid date. 
1972, the Boston and Vancouver marathons paved the way for inclusivity by allowing women to enter races alongside the men. 1972. I've got t-shirts older than that. Hey, you know, what was the thought process on keeping women out of, out of running? Was it uh, they were afraid that a woman might beat some of the men runners? They couldn't keep up? I, I'm sorry. That's just ridiculous. It should have happened a long time ago. A woman should have run against Philippides. That's right. I said that. She would have won, too, and probably not even died. And if you think that 1972 date is ridiculous, this one's even more astonishing. It wasn't till 1984 that women were allowed to run in the marathon distance. Okay, I'm going to climb down off my soapbox now. I apologize for that, but you get my point. Uh, so anyway, more and more uh, opportunities emerged for the non-professional runners and non-elite runners. And now there are more than 1,100 marathons held throughout the U.S. each year. And most of these are for recreational runners. And if you've ever been to a marathon, I emphasize the word recreational runners. You know, the people dressed up like Elvis or the people wearing tutus. Uh, yeah, it can be quite a spectacle. So thanks to Philippides and Karen Switzer and everything else I've talked about, that all leads us right to the topic for this episode, being married to or living with a runner. The runner in my house, and by now you all know who I mean, she has a weekly goal of something like 40 miles, and she runs somewhere between 5 and 8 miles a day on her treadmill and thinks that's fun. Now, clearly, her and I have an entirely different concept of what the word fun means. But let's talk about treadmills, because if you have a runner in your house, you have a treadmill. Back in the first century, ancient Romans had a version of what we know as a treadmill, but you see... The difference is they use their treadmills to move heavy objects. But the treadmill we know today was originally, and this is two words, a tread mill. It was a wheel-like platform that had treads on it, and a person would walk on that and turn some gears to grind or mill grain. And just where was this invention used? It was used as a form of punishment in prisons. You see, I knew it. I knew it all along. It's nothing more than a punishment device. That's what I've been saying. Nobody believes me. It's nothing more than a torture device. During the Victorian era, a British engineer, or I'll just call him a psychopathic engineer. Anyway, he was named was William Cubitt, and he invented the prison treadmill. Now, those being punished were forced to walk around on this giant wheel holding on to a uh, horizontal handrail for stability, and several prisoners at a time stood side by side on the wheel, and they had to work six or more hours a day grinding grain to supplement the food in the, uh, in the prison. Now, author Oscar Wilde, while he was in prison, and you can look up why he was in prison. Discretion plays a better part of valor here. This is a family show. You can find out why he was in prison. Anyway, he was also forced to walk on the treadmill during his two-year prison sentence. The popularity of this punishment device quickly spread to the United States. And in 1824, a prison guard in New York named James Hardy, I don't know why I told you the name, it's irrelevant to the story, but anyway, he credited the device with taming New York's more defiant inmates. He wrote that it was the treadmills, and I quote, monotonous steadiness 
and not the severity which constitutes its terror. I don't think I need to add anything to that. In England, the treadmill persisted until the late 19th century when it was abandoned for being too cruel. Again, no comment from me. And when that happened, the prison torture device known as a treadmill was all but lost to history. Then, sadly, in the 1960s, a guy named Dr. Kenneth Cooper demonstrated the health benefits of aerobic exercise and the treadmill made a triumphant return. You know, just when we thought the nightmare was over, curse you, Dr. Cooper, curse you. Today, the human-powered grain grinders, you call them treadmills, they're the most popular form of exercise equipment, and it's a multi-gajillion dollar business. So again, if you're married to a runner or live with a runner, you probably have a treadmill. I think we're done talking about treadmills, uh, but there's a lot more uh, that happens if you're married or living with a, a runner, and we'll talk about those right after the break. Keep listening, please. Don't hit the stop button. I'll, I'll be right back, I promise. Once upon a time there was an engineer. Choo-choo Charlie was his name we hear. He had an engine and he sure had fun. He used good and plenty candy to make his train run. Charlie says, love my good and plenty. Charlie says, really rings the bell. Charlie says, love my good and plenty. Don't know any other candy that I love so well. If I'm being honest with you, I never have been a fan of Good and Plenty. I don't uh, like licorice, and I don't like the colors pink and white together. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I just not my favorite. They actually used to have uh, black colored candy in the, in the same box, but that was a long, long time ago. Uh, anyway, getting back to the show. Before the break, we were talking about treadmills or the evil machine. And now let's talk about some of the other things. If you're in a house with a runner, they're a training regimen. Some runners will get up at, oh, dark 30 to get out and run first thing in the morning. Others will get up at uh, maybe five dark 30 and run on their treadmill. Others may run in the evening, but regardless, when they finish, uh, the runner is usually full of energy. Endorphins are pouring out of their ears and they're dripping, you know, buckets of sweat wetness. And then uh, they, they smile at you and want to hug. And that's where true love comes in. That's, you know, you, you give that hug and kind of make that face. Another telltale way to know that you're uh, married to a runner is look at the shoes in the closet. At any given time, there's four or five or maybe six pair of running shoes at various stages of their life. There's the shiny new ones that are reserved strictly for a race day only. There's the pair that look like they've been through a battle or two. And then there's the pair on their last miles whimpering to be put out of their misery. I have been educated that running shoes only last about 400 to 500 miles. You know, I say let Goodyear take a crack at the running shoes. You know, they make car tires that are good for 40,000 miles. Can't they do the same for shoes? Um, that argument didn't get very far. When it's time to go shoe shopping, I have also learned to never suggest a pair that I think look nice. I'll hold them up and say, hey, what about these shoes? And then my wife will look at me with that sweet smile, you know, the kind of look that says, you know, bless his little heart. Uh, she offers up a very polite no. So, uh, yeah, I have learned I just now stand there and look pretty. I did some research on running shoes and shocked to find some of this stuff out. And, again, I did the research so, so you don't have to. Here is what I found. 
brand, 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 blah, 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 color, color, blah, blah, blah. But here's the parts that are apparently really important. You ready? There's the heel counter, the heel collar, the heel tab, the sock liner, the midsole, the outsole, the lasting, the medial post, the shank, the quarter panel, the vamp, the lace garage, and the cushion and the space truss stick. I don't think there's that many parts on the Falcon 9 spaceship. Uh, but if you're a runner, well, you have the list of everything that's important to you. Runners also need uh, some listening gear because they like to listen to music when they're running. A lot of them have those Apple iPod thingies. Those, when you wear those, I mean, no offense. If you wear those, you like them, fantastic. For me, they look like this, the world's worst earrings. The, the runner in my house has the kind of headphones that rest on the bone behind her ear, and somehow magically she can hear music in her head. I hear voices in my head even without those things. Uh, some runners will carry water bottles during races. You know, a, a legitimate need. They need to hydrate. I get that. But I'm fascinated by the runners that have the multiple plastic bottles that are strapped to a belt that they wear. Uh, it's like a giant water ammo belt. And then there's the guy that wears that some kind of backpack that has tubes coming over his shoulders. Uh, you know, if you're going to do that, it should be filled with beer. That's all I'm saying. Some races encourage costumes or accessories. My wife and a friend of ours that runs with her, they run a race called Be the Night or Be the Light or Night at the Opera or something like that. It's, it's at nighttime. And all the racers decorate themselves with glow sticks and rope lights and flashing lights. I was watching a race one time, and I swear a guy ran by who looked like the Griswold house at Christmas time. Now, all that brings us up to the important part, and that's the races. Races come in a variety of flavors. The most popular of them is the 5K, which is 3.1 miles. After that, there's the 10K, 12K, and of course, the biggies, the half marathon at 13.1 miles and a full marathon we already talked about. Now, being the spouse of a runner who fully supports their runner means you're at every race to lend moral support, provide encouragement, and more importantly, you're there to carry stuff. Now, most all the races start around 8 o'clock in the morning on the weekend, and that means you have to be at the starting area around 7-ish. And if you live an hour away from most races like, like we do, then it's wheels up at 6-ish, and it's, uh, it means getting up when it's still uh, yesterday. The runner has to check in and get their race number and their T-shirt, and that's usually followed by a swag bag that has some coupons for something healthy. It might have a tube of chapstick and maybe a little packet of energy beans or something. Usually at the check-in registration area, there's some kind of expo and free stuff gets handed out, juice box, free samples, whatever else. So before the race starts, you end up carrying the jacket, the gloves, the swag bag, and all the other things you've accumulated at the expo. And that's okay because, again, you're there for support. Now, over the years uh, and many races, I pretty much know my wife's running time for each distance. But if you're new to supporting a runner in your life, this information is critical. And that's because after you give your final wave goodbye and good luck wish to your runner, you got nothing to do. So you go back to your car and you maybe snooze for a while. You play a game on your phone. Uh, as a side note, always remember to charge your phone the night before, just saying. The uh, location of the race can make or break your waiting experience. If it's a race at a park, you might get lucky and there's a bench you can sit on and look at some sites. If it's a race in a city or downtown location, you're out of luck because there's nothing open at that time of the morning on a weekend. But if you're really lucky, the race is in Las Vegas. That's my favorite. 
She runs a Las Vegas uh, half marathon. Now, experience tells me that will take her around two and a half hours. So just before the race starts, I give a big hug and goodbye. And when the horn blows to start the race, I yell, good luck and run safe. Then I give her two thumbs up. And once she's on her way, it's off to the casino for me. Yeah, that's a lot of big talk coming from me. Because if you've listened to episode two, you know, I'm just going to lose that 20 bucks. The challenge of these races is knowing when your runner is going to be done, or at least when you think they're going to be done. Small races are kind of easy. You can probably spot your runner as he or she makes the last turn to the finish, even if it's three blocks away. The challenge is the big ones or the the half marathons or full marathons. Watching your runner, you know, amongst 30,000 other runners, well, uh, what are your chances that another runner is going to be wearing just a pink top with a, a number pinned to the front? And that Las Vegas run, it's at nighttime. So, you know, I get to the finish line about 10 minutes before her earliest finish time. Then start scanning the, the, the crowd, and my head is going pan, pans left, right, left, right, left, watching 30,000 runners go by. My eyes are straining, you know, as I peer through the darkness, looking for a five foot four runner wearing a pink top and a sea of other runners. And then, just as the visual fatigue and the neck exhaustion starts to set in, you finally spot your runner, and a chorus of music descends from the heavens. It's at that moment you're thinking two things. First is, I hope they had a good run and they're feeling good. They're not too sore. And the second thing is, and this is the most important one, I hope they get me a banana and a bottle of water. Yes, being married to a runner or living with a runner has its nuances, but you know, they love their hobby. And it's not like we don't have any weird hobbies ourselves, like model railroading or or making podcasts. But I'm going to leave you with one more fact. Distance runners are prone to dead butt syndrome. That's an inflammation of the tendons in a person's rear end. However, runners typically live longer than those who do not run. I'm going to add, in my defense, I'm not prone to dead butt syndrome. With that, I will wrap up episode five. And what have we learned? We learned that Marathon and Athens are 26 miles apart. There are more parts to a running shoe than there really should be. And lastly, that treadmills are nothing more than a prison torture machine. That's going to wrap up this episode. I do appreciate your listening as always. And I will talk to you next time on 20 Minutes You Will Never Get Back. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take, take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye.